Happy Aaron Rodgers opt-out deadline day to all of you who celebrate. I am Michael Rand, and this is your Friday Daily Delivery. Yeah, like I just said just now, Aaron Rodgers has to decide by today if he is going to opt out of the 2021 season. All indications are that he won't, even though there's financial implications of sitting out the season that are beneficial to him if that's the way he wants to go. Um, that would be the, 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 the better route for him to take instead of just holding out and missing the year. But regardless, we're probably heading to a resolution on that, so I want to talk about that a little bit more. Interesting links bit of bookkeeping that, uh, that, that people have been asking me about, so I thought I'd explain that a little bit better as well. But first, what did I miss? Well, I had Lavelle E. Neal on the show today. I'm going to get him on in just a minute, but i got to mention Miguel Sano. Lavelle brought him up a little bit, but maybe not in the as, as much depth as I wanted to based on just uh, just the Thursday game that he played. 0 for 5 in that 8-5 loss to Chicago with four strikeouts, and those four strikeouts stranded nine runners on base. Unbelievable, including twice the bases loaded. Four strikeouts, nine runners stranded on base. Came up in the first inning when the Twins had a chance to, to put a dent in the game, struck out. And he came up later in a clutch situation. The Twins had rallied, gotten things closer, struck out again. 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. And again, he's done some better things towards the uh, you know towards this middle part of the season. But by and large, he's become the kind of player where you can't play him. He's 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 become essentially unplayable because as as you know, even though he might run into one every 15 at bats, the other 14 at bats are generally of such poor quality. That, uh, that you just cannot play Miguel Sano right now. And I know the offense isn't really the problem with the Twins this season. They've been scoring plenty of runs. Um, if they'd gotten better outings from Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios against Chicago, they might have taken two out of three in that series because those games were right there for the taking with better starting pitching. That said, Miguel Sano can't let him off the hook because this, you know, this, this just can't happen. I don't know where they are organizationally with him. And like I said, Lavelle's going to talk about him again in just a little bit here. But I'm I'm pretty much done. I don't I just don't feel like you you can trust him going forward to be anything more than a guy who's going to hit an occasional home run. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, senior assistant sports editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps. Go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Lavelle E. Neal third Star Tribune columnist was in Chicago for four days, saw three games, had a mystery rainout sprinkled in, saw the Josh Donaldson uh, extravaganza with uh, Lucas Giolito. You did not see the Twins win a game uh, in Chicago, so that's uh, that's something we got to talk about too. Uh, Lavelle, how's it going first off? It's going good. Uh, it's been a long week here in Chicago. I got here on Monday and I'm leaving on Friday and I feel like I've been here two days too long already. <laughs> Twins probably feel that way as well. Uh, Chicago is supposed to be a four game series, turns into a three game series, but nonetheless, it's a sweep. Um, and we, we can't really bury the lead here, Lavelle. They, if they, if they went into this thinking, okay, here's, Here's our chance, right? We've got 10, you know, 10 games against Chicago before the before the trade deadline. You got a bunch of games against the AL Central outside of that. Here's, you know, any chance to kind of make a move or or get back into this, you know, right around the All-Star break or right after it. Kind of kind of depends on 
playing well against Chicago and that just didn't happen. So what, you know, what, what did you see on the field and what, you know, what did you absorb mood wise? I know it's harder to get a mood, you know, on zoom than it is in the clubhouse, but where do you think these guys are right now in terms of their own belief in their own team? I just think they're, you know, over the last couple of weeks, they've had some, some bad games that have kind of hit them. I still remember they lost a game in Seattle and some of the players sat in the dugout, like right after the game for a few moments and, Sat there and really looked like, man, this is just not working this year, you know. And uh, we talked to Nelson Cruz after the game today, on Sunday, and he sounded, you know, rather realistic. And I wouldn't, I don't know, what, I don't know if I want to say fatalistic, but he was like, Dwight Sucks had a better team than us, you know. Uh, he had to come out and say it plain and simple. I mean, they're, they're behind them 14 and a half games. They're 13 games out of a wild card. So, how real, realistic is it that they can get back into this thing? So, and the one thing is, they're not pitching. They're not pitching. You know, once Brios left the game, it was 4-4, and then uh, Jorge Hakala immediately gives up a home run, and the White Sox add three more runs after that, and it's just over. You know, it's just that the, the pitching rotation and the bullpen's unreliable, and they can't cover up for deficiencies elsewhere. So when there's an occasional fielding flub or a base runner mistake, like there was with Cruz and Polanco on Tuesday, or Wednesday, sorry, everything looks worse. So, um this is a team that uh, may have to start thinking about 2022 instead of 2021. Yeah, I want to get to that in a minute, but a couple other things from the series before we get there. You know, one being, you know, the, the first game of the series, Tuesday, there's some there's some drama in it, but, you know, kind of lost in the, the Josh Donaldson, Lucas Giolito stuff was another really poor start by Kent Maida. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out what, what's gone wrong for him this year versus what was looking so right a year ago. And even, you know, everybody in spring training said this guy looks even better. You know, do we have, does, does he have any explanation for that? Do we have any insights into, you know, does he feel like he's just a little bit away or he, I, I think he feels like he's a little bit away and, or is he, is he close to turning his season around? I don't know. Um, his control's a little bit off. I don't know if it's a mechanical adjustment he needs to make or what, but it's not clicking right now. He used to throw all his pitches to either side of the plate with pretty good accuracy. And here's what Chase. Now, I don't know if a year of tape has allowed American League hitters to make adjustments to him or not. That could be a factor. But he's got good enough stuff to stay one step ahead and change his repertoire of pitches and change his sequencing and still be effective. But to me, there's too many pitches over in the hittable zones that he's getting clobbered with. Uh, the one thing... I know that the Twins are kind of watching right now. His velocity is a little down. And that could be uh, a hint of something, you know, more than just a mechanical problem. Uh, he only hit 90 on, with his fastball in his last outing. He, he was hitting 93 last year with the Twins. So that's something to kind of monitor going forward. If the velocity thing is a, a hint that he's got some physical element, but it's just not clicking right now with him. Uh, he's not throwing with the control he had a year ago and his velocity's down. And it comes at a time when the twins can really, really need him with, um, you know, someone like Michael Bendania on, on the, uh, on the injury list and having to rely on people like Bailey over and Griffin Jacks to prop up the back in the rotation. Well, you know, Matt Shoemaker gets DFA. That was a guy they were hoping would provide some stability. That didn't work. Um, you know, I think, Jay Happ has has had a few blow up starts. He's had, you know, he's had, he he pitched well in his last outing, I guess, the one in Cleveland, but 
by and large, that's been disappointing too. Just, you know, I, whatever plan they had for pitching just has not materialized. No, the, the way they put together the staff is, uh, has been flawed and they should, you know, be criticized for it. And that comes off a couple of years where a lot of their pitching decisions kind of worked and they were able to get some real amount of, a lot of guys. I mean, I didn't know who the hell Matt Wizzler was a year ago when they signed him, but he ended up having a fantastic year, you know, and it seemed like, you know, Signing Alexander Colomay was a shrewd move because he had a 108 ERA last year, but he's been a disaster. Um, Jay Happ has been effective. He's pitched, you know, in the American League East with some against some pretty tough teams. So I figure he's battle tested, but he's been hot and cold. Uh, Pinedo's been hurt a couple of times. That's hurt. That's helped. That helped. Maida's been hurt now. Um, Hansel Robles is really hot and cold, you know, so – they let Trevor May go to the Mets, so maybe they should have kept him. But I know they believe that relievers are more volatile than any position on the field, and they could be great one year and cold the next. Tyler Duffy's not Tyler Duffy. So there's an example of your – I mean, Tyler Duffy from a year ago. There's right. an example of a guy being hot and cold. So um, I've been told that you're looking at this, that it seems like a lot of our decisions in the past have worked out. This is like blackjack. They think they got a bad run of cards right now at the table. So – it sounds like they're going to stick with their data and just try to hit next year on guys for 2022 and not overhaul their whole plan as far as evaluating pitchers. But it would help if they would spend 15 to 20 million a year to just drop a starter who's credible in the middle of their rotation and make it easier on everybody. Yeah, they tried to, you know, Hap wasn't exactly bargain basement, but I think they, you know, what they wanted out of him was probably a little more than his his contract would suggest um, one guy they're paying a lot is Josh Donaldson. Um, and he's, you know, he homered in the first inning of the first two games of this series. But that said, he's also been in the middle of some controversy with the sticky stuff. Um, you know, not being afraid to speak his mind about that, you know, both, you know, originally a few weeks ago, and then again with, uh, with Lucas Giolito and just basically, you know, calling out his stats on Wednesday after they had their kind of confrontation on Tuesday. What I want to get your take on kind of, how do you think that plays with his teammates and, and what do you think, you know, he's just different than a lot of twins players we've seen just more outspoken. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just feels different to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say this one. I think Josh Donaldson's right. Two, I'm surprised that more players haven't jumped in behind Donaldson and said, we're looking at the same data and we see the same 150 pitchers whose spin rates have gone up since 2017. Um, the one thing about covering baseball during um, uh, a virus outbreak is that we're still not allowed in the clubhouse. Right. Can't like saddle up to a pitcher and ask him, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like it's more scrutiny coming down on you, you know, because you have a teammate who's speaking out about this? Um, we don't know exactly how it's going over other than what Donaldson and Rocco is telling us, but I think it's been entertaining. I mean, as a columnist, I love it. I think it's a great <laughs> driving up the wall, but, um, you know, I wish Donaldson never leaves. He, cause he's probably good for five or 10 columns a year just for his hijinks and his strong beliefs. Cause he, he tripled down the next day after Tuesday. And then he was booed in his first at bat and hit a home run and laughed at everybody as he rounded the bases. So there's something about him and spotlight and imagining uh, threats to his, you know, to his, uh, his abilities. And he, he, he kind of invents enemies and tries to go at him when he plays, but he's right though. Um, and I just saw something that offense is up 7%. Right. 
since mm-hmm. the crisis started. You know, so uh, there's something going on here with that. I will also have to say that Jose Brios' spin rates were down from his uh, season average today. Interesting, interesting. That's a good. Uh, that's good conspiracy theory right there. We'll we'll leave that one there for the time being. Um, but, uh, yeah, Donaldson, I, I think it would play better if he was, if they were winning right now, it feels like it sometimes rings a little bit hollow when they're not winning. Yeah. Well, it's so easy. Cause Giolito's argument was look at the end of the day, it's a W next to my name and they're in last place, you know, uh, now is before they met each other in the parking lot after the game, apparently to which Donaldson made his point about why are you worried about what I'm saying? You were in a, I, I don't care about what you say about me. You're an opponent, you know? And um, Giolito said, well, you're kind of annoying. He was like, what does it matter to you? And, and, and Donaldson is taking that as if he really wasn't, if he wasn't cheating, they probably wouldn't care what he was saying about Giolito. But the fact that he got Giolito to respond and answer to what he said, to, to, me, to him, it's an admission of guilt. So he feels he's in Giolito's head now. <laughs> you know, Twins are now 14 and a half games back. Jeff Passan from ESPN.com had a piece where he, you know, noted that the whole the whole league is basically waiting on the Twins to see if they're going to be sellers. Where do you think they stand in all that? And I'm I'm sure these last three games didn't help the uh, the notion that they're not going to be sellers. Well, I mean, when you have a good team that's gone bad, you've got multiple guys that could be appealing to other teams. Start with Nelson Cruz, a bat that can help a team. Brios because he's unsigned. Uh, Taylor Rogers, who's a good lefty. Even Donaldson, who could bring leadership, leadership and grit if the Twins have to eat some of the salary and maybe a couple other pieces, maybe Hansa Robles as a extra guy in someone's bullpen. So that talk's going to come up. I mean, scouts were asking me in Chicago about are the Twins ready to sell or not? And I was like, they're going to wait until the last minute to make that decision. And two, they are not afraid to go into next year with Buxton and Brios on their roster unsigned because they still feel that they're going to be competitive next year. So for those of you who are hoping for a fire sale, keep this in mind. The Twins think they're going to compete next year, so they're not going to tear this thing down. You may see a couple of tweaks, a couple of moves here. Um, the only thing that could change that is that if someone offers a blockbuster deal for Barrios. So, but we have to wait and see on that one um, because he does have the possibility. There's a possibility of Jose being the best starter available at the deadline if the Twins decide to sell. And that could motivate a team you know, that has a lot of resources and maybe a couple of top 10 prospects to be willing to move on. But uh, I'm saying right now, manage your expectations, people. Actually, it's probably a column next week. Manage your expectations, people, uh, thinking that all of a sudden the uh, roster's going to get gutted and all this this flock of fantastic top-tier prospects are going to come and take this team to the next level. It's not that easy. Well, what if, I mean, I, I, I get it. I understand the, the wish to be better next year. And then, you know, I get, you know, they have Barrios and Buxton under team control for 2022. They lose a certain amount of trade value if they held on to them and things don't work out next season. But what, what is it that makes them think they're going to be any better next season? I don't look at this roster and say, oh, man, they're right on the cusp. They get a few more breaks and, and they're right there. They're 14 and a half games out and it's July 2nd. Well, they liked it. They liked most of their everyday roster. Uh, the thing is that the pitching decisions didn't make. So they have got that they made did not work well. So, you know, last year they had a, they were fifth and they were in the top five in the, in the right. baseball in ERA. And they won the division with the offense actually not performing that well. It was right. not fantastic. This year, actually, the offense is a little bit better, but 
bad pitching exposes weaknesses all over the field. So the defense and base running and occasional lack of offense, you know, ends up uh, costing them games. So in their mind, if they can approach their pitching better than they did this past offseason, they could be right back into things next year. So, and you've got Polanco and Kepler in the middle of the contracts. Arise is a staple. Kirilov and Larnick are getting good experience this year. Um, they got to make a decision if they have Cruz around for next year or not. Donaldson around for next year or not. They got a sticky situation with Sano with, uh, because he's become almost unplayable in, in certain situations. But then you're going to have Garver back and you have a nice little tandem with Garver and Jeffers behind the plate. So it's about crafting the right type of pitching staff that could possibly, you know, make them relevant again in the AL Central. Yeah, I, I get it. I just, you know, it just seems like wishful thinking. If, they, if they're not going to be able to re-sign Barrios necessarily, and maybe that can change, things can change there. If, you know, Pineda's a free agent, um, and is anybody even going to be, you know, minor league-wise, Barrios is really the last pitcher they developed is anybody even going to be ready by 2022 i feel like everybody that's good is either a little far away or are pitching through injuries right now maybe um um you know and the thing is too you want the twins to trade reels for a similar package that they got for all johan santana no being okay so no, i want i want the chris archer no trade to a deal like that i want the archer trade all over again that's what i want i want well, that would be trade. a good one although glass now's now got elbow problems but to get Austin Meadows and Glassnow back for Archer it was a steal. And that's, that was during a run when the, the, the Rays were fleecing everyone in their trades, except the Twins, because the Twins got Jake Odorizzi for Jermaine Palacios, and that worked out for the Twins. But it did. Um, it, it's, that's why it's a, such a tricky thing to say, just trade this guy, get someone good for him, because um, it's not always uh, easy. It's not as easy to get those, uh, those top prospects, man. So – um, there's another question you asked. I was trying to answer. Uh, what makes them think they're going to be any better? I guess, but I think maybe you answered that one. You you basically said they oh, like, yes, their, about, they like their lineup. Uh, who's close to next year? Um, yeah. Well, they had a couple setbacks. Like George uh, right. and both Young Duran had injury hit uh, issues, and actually Duran's shut down right now. He's avoiding. He doesn't have the surgery, but he has to be shut down to work on his elbow. Balogzovich was actually uh, part of a near no hitter uh, last night in Wichita. So he's training the right way. But this, this new kid on the block is Josh Winder, who just got uh, promoted to Triple uh, A. And he's got the four picks mix, mix of fastball, slider, curve, and change. And um, he spent the pandemic uh, summer pretty much working out and fine tuning everything. He came back stronger touching 98 on the gun. So he's got like a 96 to 97 mile an hour fastball that touches 98 plus a nice breaking curveball and slider and change. So he's kind of uh, taking a step up in the twins eyes in terms of uh, what he can accomplish as a, uh, as a starting prospect. So he, uh, some people think he could possibly get called up in September. I'm like, he just got to St. Paul. He's got two months. A lot of things could happen over the next two months. I would probably say, He'll be in training camp next year, and if he blows away people in training camp, then he could be a factor in 2022. Uh, but he's definitely one to watch because he's got a great strikeout rate so far as a minor leaguer, and he, he throws above 90. He's got an above-average fastball, which you know like makes him a, a threat to be at the top of the rotation. A couple more things for you, Lavelle E. Neal. Um, one, 
if you refer ranking to twins that you think are, you know, more likely to be traded versus not as likely to be traded, you know, wh- who falls on that spectrum? Is it mostly the guys that are, you know, one-year contract guys that you think would be easy moves or, or how do you, how do you see it shaking out? Yeah, I think it'd be easier for guys who are just on one-year deals. To me, Cruz, they, they should be able to find a place for Cruz if they decide to, to trade him. Um, Donaldson, they, that would be more complicated. Uh, the team has to be willing to put up with Donaldson's personality, his alpha personality, and the grit that he claims he has. And the $23 million. And maybe have to eat some of the salary. Um, Rogers would be an interesting guy just because he's lefty and he's been effective as a left-handed setup guy. You know, I heard Hansel Robles could be, you know, a possibility too. Um, Brios is going to be the tough one. It depends on the twins. Because to me, Brios is more of the solution than the problem. And right. if you Brios, he might also trade a bunch of other people too, as far as I'm concerned. Because I think Brios should be in a rotation next year with another good quality pitcher next to him. And maybe Kenta made him more of a number three uh, in that rotation. So, um, but yeah, I would think the one-year guy, as a probably more the most appealing to be dealt, and you never know when Twins could uh, blow us away with a package that includes, you know, Rogers or Barrios or someone, and then includes throws in a prospect like a sure. winner or a Jose Miranda or someone that they could probably spin off and, and and increase the offer from the other team. So it's going to be a lot of plate spinning in uh, here in the next few weeks leading up to the trade deadline it's going to come down to just who is uh is uh is uh enamored with the twins players enough to you know go over the top with an offer and if barrios is considered to be the top starter out there the twins should have three or four suitors and could pick and choose from the best offer but trade barrios to me uh to me that's going to be a hard guy to replace he's a like a two-time all-star could be a three-time all-star uh yeah because Brian Buxton was not voted in as center as a center fielder so the twins, the twins have to have a representative who else would it be other than Jose maybe like, Cruz but that's about it yeah a three-time all-star uh I I just I don't know how you recover from a guy like that and he's your best pitcher that you've developed in years and uh to me you the team's gonna have to overpay for me to 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 uh, Trey Burris. And I would try to sign him like crazy during the off season. It sounds like he wants more than 20 million a year. I don't know mm. if he's ready to go there, but uh, it hasn't been easy so far. Now trading him would be a signal that they don't feel great about 2022. And if what you're saying is they do feel that way, then that's one to, that's one to watch for sure. That'll be a barometer of how they feel about 2022. Last thing for you. Um, if you, if they're not there yet, if they, even if after getting swept by Chicago, it's not time to say, um, we're, we're, we're open for business. What, what gets them to that point or conversely, like how, it, what would change their minds and make them think, okay, well, we're going to hang on to guys because I think, because we think we, you know, still have some sort of chance at, at doing this. What has to happen in the next few weeks, I guess, to, well, to go one direction or the other. You just need the calendar to turn. I think as soon as you get to the trade deadline, you're going to see some action. Um, the twists are not going to stand pat either. They're going to be an adding mode or subtracting mode. And right now it looks like a subtracting mode. It's just going to be a matter of when's the right time. Um, um, especially if they are a seller, you know, they're going to want a market for their guys. So they're going to take as long as they can to drive up, drive up, drive up a market for their players. So um, I wouldn't expect things to heat up to right after the all-star break, to be honest with you. Those, okay. 
week, week and a half before the deadline. I think it was going to be uh, the crazy period in baseball. Lavelle Neal, great stuff from Chicago. It was an eventful four days for you. Uh, get some, get some rest, enjoy a little bit of downtime, and we'll catch you again soon here on Daily Delivery, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good stuff as always from Lavelle. And like I alluded to in the, in our discussion, Jeff Passan from ESPN had uh, had a really good piece a couple days ago to kind of looking at the trade deadline. And he spent a lot of time at the outset talking about the Twins, how a lot of teams are waiting to see what they're going to do um, because they've got a lot of pieces a lot of people might want. Jose Barrios, you know, like Lavelle and I talked about, he was mentioned prominently in that piece. So was Nelson Cruz. Taylor Rogers' name came up. You know, twins have some some you know mid-level moves that team that teams could 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 want to try to make. Guys like Jay Happ, guys like Michael Pineda, Hansel Robles, Andrelton Simmons. Um, you know, and the, like I've talked about on this podcast before, you know, numerous times, there's nobody on this roster that I feel like is untouchable from a trade perspective, and that should make for a pretty interesting month of July. So like I mentioned at the very beginning, Aaron Rodgers has uh, has until this afternoon to decide whether he's going to opt out of the 2021 season. Now, I don't think he's going to do that. I wrote about this last week. Um, just an interesting bit of bookkeeping, essentially, that you know because of the COVID era, players can opt out of the season. He would forfeit his salary for this year, but he would probably retain his signing bonus and roster bonuses. So if he's if he's committed to sitting out this season entirely and doesn't feel like the Packers are going to trade him and doesn't feel like he can play for them just in good conscience because of everything that's happened, he could sit out the year, opt out. Basically, his contract just rolls over to next year, which by then I would imagine the Packers would be forced to trade him. Now, it's a very... Um, it's a pretty devastating option because it would mean he couldn't play this year. It's irreversible. You can't just opt out and then opt back in. Once you opt out, you're out. So that's what, you know, that's probably, that's, that's the main reason that anybody who's analyzing this says, yeah, would he really do that? Um, you know, but Aaron Rodgers is, Aaron Rodgers does what Aaron Rodgers does. He's a, he's one of those guys where he's very stubborn. He's got ideas about how things should how things should go. This is this to me is always once this came to light, you know, a couple weeks ago, this has seemed like a viable option. And the fact that it's even being talked about um, tells you where the situation is at with the Packers. And you know, with the Twins, I just alluded to, it's going to be an interesting month of July. With the Packers, it's going to be even more so because here we are in July, no resolution to this. Even if he doesn't opt out, and again, I think that would be surprising, almost shocking, if he did opt out of this season. Um, there's no resolution in sight with him and the Packers training camp coming up in just a few weeks. So again, if we've been kind of like sitting there like, Oh, you know, they'll figure this out. They'll figure this out. There's still time. Yeah. It's July. Everybody there's it's July and uh, time is running out to figure all of that out for both sides. Let's end with the cooler. Had a message from a listener named Michael, um, Michael Siverud, I believe is his name. How can you, can you do a pod? on whatever the links are doing, cutting Rachel Bannum and then terminating Lashia Clarendon for the billionth time. I'm sure there's a good reasoning behind it, but they've never given any explanation. Now, my colleague Kent Youngblood has written about this a little bit um, and, and explained it well, so I'll just kind of crib from his story a little bit. Basically, they, they cut Clarendon, who's been a really key member of their team. Um, this is a salary cap move, essentially. They're expected to sign Clarendon 
by, uh, by Saturday to a long-term contract, or you know, at least the, a contract for the rest of this season, I should say. They had to cut Rachel Bannum in the process. She is expected to re-sign shortly as well, Kent reports. So basically... All this is is a little bit of maneuvering to get under the salary cap, and the links are pressed up pretty tight against it, like a lot of other WNBA teams are. They only have, according to Track, $92,000 left in cap space out of a cap that goes up to $1.339 million total. Now, some of the things that are helping them on the cap this season, um, players like uh, you know Nafisa Collier still on an entry-level deal, Jessica Shepard, Bridget Carlton, a lot of those players not making huge, huge amounts of money, so they're you know they're able to uh, to get them and uh, you know keep them for a relatively low price. But they had a lot of injuries that have that have you know kind of dipped into their their cap. You know players who count against their cap but aren't playing a whole lot and aren't uh, you know but still count count against their cap. They're paying Ariel Powers and Kayla McBride both have cap numbers of one hundred and ninety thousand dollars this season, which is pretty significant in the WNBA, both of them taking up 15% of the cap. And now they also have Karima Christmas Kelly counting $106,000 against this year's cap. Again, that's according to Track. That's $106,000 of dead cap money because she is not on this year's team. She was signed in 2019, got injured in 2020, and is not playing for them this season. So that's an, that's a factor in where they are with the cap as well. But you know, basically, long story short, is they're going to be able to keep both players. It sounds like uh, Michael, but uh, it took a little bit of cap maneuvering to get to that place because of guaranteed money and things like that. That'll do it for today. Thanks so much for listening all week. No show on Monday. You're going to enjoy a long 4th of July holiday. Hope you guys do too. We'll be back at it Tuesday for uh, some, from some fun shows. I think Patrick Royce will be on Tuesday instead of Monday, his usual appearance. Thanks so much for listening all week. Download this podcast, subscribe, write a review, do all those good things. Be safe this weekend, and I'll see you again on Tuesday.